Welcome everyone to another International E-Podcast. Before we started, let me talk a little bit about the past. So the International E-Podcast is going to be a space where different international students, prospective ones, as well as current international students could get a glimpse into the life of international students in the U.S. or abroad. This week, I'm joined by Elias. Welcome to Elias. Thank you for having me, Ruth. Really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much. So before we get started, let me talk a little bit about you. Um, so Elias is currently a cloud sales representative at Google, originally from the Philadelphia area. His parents are from Ethiopia and Eritrea, and he has lived in New York for the past five years. He studied international relations and consumer psychology at the University of Pennsylvania, but pivoted towards tech in his career, working his way through roles at IBM, Salesforce, and now at Google. Would you like to add more to your bio? I think you did a, a wonderful <laughs> overview there, a wonderful right. introduction, so thank you. Yeah. Um, but no, that, that captures just about everything. I'm sure we'll get into more detail. Right. Okay, sounds great. Um, so the title of our episode today is Dealing with Mental Health as a Child of Immigrants. So... For us to just get started, like what is the first thing that pops to your head when you hear that topic, like dealing with mm. mental health as a child of immigrants? It's a really good question, right? Because dealing with mental health, first and foremost, takes a variety of different forms, which sounds yeah. generic, but I promise I'll get into what that means. Mm -hmm. um, the first thing to answer your question, though, that kind of pops into my mind when I think about mental health is really focusing in on kind of what we want in life. Mm -hmm. um, I think as children of immigrant parents, mm -hmm. right, being Habasha, I yeah. think about what, you know, our parents wanted for us mm -hmm. when they immigrated here. Right. I, I think about the the goals that they wanted to achieve and the mm -hmm. goals that they wanted us to achieve, right? Mm -hmm. And the stereotype always kind of falls into a couple of key categories, right? Doctor, right. engineer, <laughs> lawyer, things like that. Right. Um, but I think when I focus in on my own mental health, I think about what did I want to do when I was younger that I felt would make me happy, you know, in my mm. professional career later on in life and mm. generally would, would leave me feeling fulfilled. And those are, I would say, kind of the things that, um, that pop into my head in terms of really focusing in on what is it that I think will l allow me to live a really happy and healthy life, mm -hmm. um, but also kind of <laughs> deal with yeah. and manage the, the pressures that come with having right. right right yeah that that's that's a very interesting answer because that was um not exactly what i was expecting you to say and it, it made me really think about also my my own experience because when you hear the word mental health especially like in the you know habesha community that's a big like taboo and it's not discussed a lot and you know no. especially you know we as um you know international students or you know kids from immigrant parents sometimes we don't know how to deal with some of the challenges that we face because because it's not talked about we don't know who to talk to or how to find the help that we need but as you mentioned like trying to find um, the answer to like what is something that's going to make me happy professionally personally and navigating that um, as a child of immigrant and as an international student can be very challenging so um, let's go back to like your I guess um, upbringing and like maybe how, talk a little bit about your um, like how you grew up and like maybe how 
like or maybe like the first time you encountered the term mental health or like when you started realizing what yeah. that was oh no i've i have a couple of really good answers to that okay um, so kind of i'll just focus in on my upbringing because yeah. uh, again it's different for each person but right. i hope someone out there can at least relate to this mm -hmm. and my upbringing was relatively middle class it, it wasn't anything kind of crazy on one side or the other um i would say i was probably afforded a lot of really really strong opportunities mm -hmm. that a lot of um you know children of immigrants may not mm -hmm. have been, you know, given the opportunity to. And I think I early on realized that those opportunities are very much a blessing, mm -hmm. right? They do not come without sacrifice, whether it's from my parents, from, from other people, um, they're, they're there for a reason. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very important to take advantage of those opportunities because mm -hmm. a big part of what, um, you know, I recently discussed on a panel that, um, you know, you, you were listening to right. is the element of luck in our mm -hmm. lives um, and, and how much of a role that plays. And mm -hmm. I think the the one thing that I think about within my own upbringing is mm -hmm. while there was a lot of, you know, luck in terms of where, you know, I went to school to, mm -hmm. you know, just the little things day to day um, that happened, there was also a lot of hard work and sacrifice. And mm -hmm. that is something that was kind of instilled in me from a very young mm -hmm. age. Mm -hmm. Now, with hard work and sacrifice sort of comes the element of mental health. Right. Mm -hmm. How much is too much of, of one thing? You know, my, my mom has a saying where she always says, um, you know, too much of, of something is never a good thing. Right. Whether it's right. too much cake when you're a kid or <laughs> um, too much right. running when you're an athlete. Right. It's mm -hmm. too much can largely never really be a good thing. Mm -hmm. And so I think that over years and years of kind of really taking to, to heart mm. what the definition of hard work might be and, mm. and how much I really wanted to do, I think I reached somewhat of a breaking point and a burnout point. Mm. And this sort of manifested um, through a couple different ways. One being the way that I work in my professional mm -hmm. kind of career mm -hmm. um, and certainly hitting a breaking point there. The other was actually a little bit more personal mm -hmm. and it was more so with my own friends. Mm -hmm. And that has a lot of kind of deeper roots within, you know, how my family and culturally, like we as a bunch of people kind of approach family and relationships. Yeah. And there's also the element, like I mentioned, of hard work. So mm -hmm. it's kind of a little bit of both. Right, right. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think you touched up on a lot of different things, but um, it has, you know, I think what what you said about, you know, hard work and burnout, and like, that's when you like get a wake-up call and you're like oh okay like I have to prioritize my mental health right and when you said like too much of anything is not good I think that's also like for me I like the first mental health there was also in college I also experienced it when it happened to me like I was involved in a lot of different Mm -hmm. I was reaching a breaking point I was like stretch, stretching myself too thin and that's when I realized okay hold on like this is uh, like I need some help like I need to reach out to someone to yeah. figure out what's going on right so but as you mentioned like sometimes it could be like even among your friend group um, or even in your family these topics might be hard to discuss um, and so I wanted to ask you um, 
was there you know did you have a support system was like where was there some someone that you reached out to when you realized that you you needed some help there absolutely were yeah. people um that i leaned on there is no world in which i could have you know gone through a lot of my own mental health struggles without right. really really important people in my life and, and right. you touch on one really important thing right like the idea of doing just a bunch of things for the sake of saying you kind of do a bunch of things right. that idea in my opinion um sort of kind of wanes on you mm -hmm. and it doesn't become relevant because mm -hmm. you learn that I think the older you get, and I'm, I'm not old, but right, the person, right. no, I'm starting to have like gray hairs here and there. Right. Uh, the one thing that I would say is my biggest asset now is time. And mm -hmm. so when I'm feeling like I'm doing a million different things, mm -hmm. that might not actually make me that happy. That might not make, you know, my life feel as fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is if I'm putting myself, let's say, in kind of the shoes of, let's say, a college student for example, right. right? Or even a high school student applying to college, mm -hmm. doing those 10 different clubs might sound absolutely great on paper, great. but I almost can guarantee that an admissions officer, for example, is looking at someone on a piece of paper and thinking if they're doing two or three things really, really well, that is much better than doing 10 things mm -hmm. on average, right? Mm -hmm. And so to be someone who really sets himself apart you, I think it's important to have a kind of a unique story and that yeah. unique story isn't just doing a million different things mm -hmm. for the sake of saying, right. you can write them down. Right. Paper. Right. Uh, it's really deriving value mm -hmm. in that for yourself. Right. And that the, the more that people can shift their focus towards that, right. the healthier I think that you can end up being. Mm -hmm. um, there was a second question you asked that I'm not forgetting. Yeah, no, I was asking like, were there people around you that you relied on? Um, yes, yes. So there are certainly a couple of people of which probably if, if I had time to go through each individual, we'd be here all day. Right. Uh, but two people certainly that have helped me the most through, through this challenge were my parents by mm. far. Mm -hmm. um, I think when you're a child of an immigrant, right, there comes mm -hmm. that level of stigma with mental right. health and you talked mm -hmm. about at the beginning. The, the thing that I would sort of lean on and, and mention here is I'm very grateful to have parents, not only just who are alive, right? right. There are a lot of people in this world that may not even have that, but right. I'm very grateful to have parents that support me in ways that are very understanding, in ways that they may not even understand what's going on with, with mental health, right. but they are understanding and supportive of the betterment of me, mm, right? Mm. And that is, I think, an invaluable thing to, to have yeah. as, a, as a child and certainly an invaluable thing to give as a parent. Mm. So my two biggest supporters in anything have always been my parents. Mm -hmm. um, when, I, when I think about other people in my life, um, I, like I said, I, I would be here all day if we went mm -hmm. person by person. Right. But the, the common theme across the people that have helped me the most through my mental health struggles mm -hmm. have been the people that have done the little things. Mm -hmm. And that little thing is checking in with intention. Mm -hmm. That little thing is sending me a reminder, right, mm -hmm. of a certain something or a certain moment that has a lot of positivity and joy behind it. Yeah. That is calling just to have a conversation about something random, right? Uh, right? Right. Or sending a gift, right? Mm -hmm. I had some of my closest friends do that for me. Mm -hmm. um, but I, you know, I've had some of my lowest points. So, right. point being, the people that have helped you, they do the little things, mm -hmm. which 
means they're probably there for for the big things as well right um in in at least my experience right right thank you so much for answering that question the reason that especially for me even asking for help or like even talking the about the fact that i was struggling was was very scary at first and mm -hmm. so i feel like once you um reach that level where you're like okay but you know i have people around me who want to see me succeed who want you know who are invested in my future and they are there to help me i think knowing that those people around us um are you know rooting for us i think it's really really important for us to really recognize that because whenever you know i was struggling i had you know would support me no matter what so i think also hearing that you also had that support system is, is very important and this just to, to say that just because you know mental health is a taboo topic or it might be like very difficult for other people to understand it doesn't mean that we shouldn't you know ask for help when when we needed it most yeah and there's this idea of asking for help that a lot of people talk about when it comes to mental health yeah um but I, there's uh, there's something in that that I don't necessarily always agree with, right? Mm -hmm. Because it puts the onus and the action on the person right. that is kind of being affected. Mm -hmm. And I think that is important. And it's certainly something that needs to be done when it comes to someone who is at a low point with their mental health, mm -hmm. making others aware of what might be going on. I think that is sort of a responsibility. Mm -hmm. But in terms of checking in, in terms of lending a hand, mm -hmm. right, mm -hmm. it's sort of a 50 50 um in, in my head of of how you kind of get through that like i said mm -hmm. in the beginning like I, there's no way i could have gotten through my own mental health struggles without right. wonderful people around me right. um my therapist being a big one right. of them right um and so while it is certainly the responsibility of you know the individual to mm -hmm. to get help and mm -hmm. to seek that help mm -hmm. it is also i think important for all of us when we hear a lot of these things going on with mental health to create a space in which mm -hmm. we're able to listen and mm -hmm. cultivate a space that allows other people to do that too. Yeah. No, I think that's a very important point that you point out because even as a friend, when you see someone struggling, checking in or just messaging them could, could go a long way. And, and I'm glad that you brought up that, that fact. Um, going back to what you said earlier about, um, being involved in a lot of different things and like burning out i was wondering like do you, like why do we feel the need to do everything does that come from our experiences mm, yeah. <laughs> like coming to the u.s from you know ethiopia or somewhere else um does it come because we're international students or why do you feel like we have this constant need to do everything yeah, I think there's one actually very clear answer to this. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's look, it's because I've seen it in myself. I've seen it in friends. I've certainly seen it in family. Mm -hmm. um, I think the need and the feeling that you need to, to do everything comes from a scarcity mindset that we yeah. all have as yeah. immigrants. Yeah. And that scarcity mindset certainly comes from our you know, parents' upbringing, uh, more so not just from their upbringing, but also from the time when they came to this country. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, you're basically left on an island, right? If you could put right. yourself in your parents' shoes for a second, they came with not very much of anything, probably stayed mm -hmm. with other family or other people that they may or may not have known. They mm -hmm. worked up and built, you know, whatever net worth or money that they had. And mm -hmm. they've effectively invested most of, if not all of that in some cases, in mm -hmm. us as children. And right. what that leads to is 
I think an, uh, an idea or at least the thought process in our own heads as, as the children in that scenario, yeah. leading to us thinking that we need to do everything and anything to make sure that we are almost repaying that to our parents. And I think it's it's extremely noble and it's extremely honorable to feel like we are giving back to our parents. And I have done that in, in different ways outside of, you know, monetarily for, for them. Mm -hmm. But I think the more that we go down this rabbit hole as children of constantly feeling like we have to repay our parents for, um, for, for basically a debt that they've gone into for us, I think it's somewhat doing both parties a disservice. I think it's important to think that way and to give back to our parents and show gratitude. But if we always feel like we're indebted to them, then we won't actually be able to showcase that gratitude because we'll always be focused on what can we do for someone else or what can we do for them? And don't get me wrong. They are the most important people in, in my life for sure. But in order to actually give back to them, in order to, to showcase our gratefulness, yeah. we can't actually be focused on on them as the number one um, recipient of of mm. our work. It has to mm. be us. And when we, I think, kind of see the the fruit of our labor, whether that's monetarily, whether that's you know housing, whether whatever that might be for you, those are different ways that you can plan once you take mm. care of yourself first. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I was like nodding every time you you were you were <laughs> talking because I relate to a lot of the things that you said. Um, yeah. and I think this also applies to and I've seen this also in college like among other international students too where you know like there's someone who's involved in every single club or like taking so many difficult classes and like you're sometimes left wondering like how are they you know managing all of that you know but then you don't know their story or you don't know what their background is and and for me personally I, I you know I remember like my parents when we first moved um to the U.S. you know my mom had to give up her job and my dad was going to school but okay I mean obviously he also had to give up his job and so there was a lot of things that were sacrificed for for us like for me and my sister and I realized that you know, when I when I got the chance to go to college, okay, I'm like, okay, I have to take advantage of this opportunity that's given to me, you know, I have to do this. And there's this like big expectation that, you know, I had for myself, as well as the expectation that my, you know, my parents had and my family had for me. But I think the struggle came when um, I realized that, okay, like, who am I doing this for, you know, at right. the end of the day, but that's a very hard question to answer because um you don't want to disappoint yourself and you don't want to disappoint your parents so how do you strike the balance of like taking care of yourself as an individual your your mental health your emotional health your physical health but then how do you how do you also like try to make them proud i guess like how do you find yeah. that balance yeah um look i'm not going to sugarcoat <laughs> and say it's the easiest thing in the world to do right. um there have been many times where i've tried to do this and it has not worked or I feel like I've not taken care of myself first. All of that could be true. The number one thing that keeps me grounded is goal setting. Mm. And it's not New Year's resolutions. It's not you know, <laughs> right. just saying, oh, I want to do this. Like I'm very intentional when it comes mm. to goal setting. And what I mean by that is let's say I have a goal. Um, just to put it in straightforward terms maybe that goal is to lose 10 pounds in two months right it could, it could be anything mm -hmm. but the reason why i think a lot of people struggle with 
really finding themselves and finding what they want to do, how they want to, you know, give back to their parents, how they want to make more money, all those sort of things mm -hmm. that would probably in a lot of cases fulfill people. Mm -hmm. It's because I don't know if A, a lot of people have done proper goal setting and B, I don't know if a lot of people have actually thought about what they really want. And it's a really hard thing to sit with yourself and think about what you really, really want in this life. Mm -hmm. And so I'll go back to the first point about goal setting. When I talk about goal setting, what I mean is, have you thought about what steps you actually need to take on a daily basis to achieve your goal? So if I set a goal for myself in two months, I'm gonna to wanna to lose 10 pounds. How often do I need to measure myself? Mm -hmm. How often do I need to go to the gym? What exercises do I need to do on a regular basis? Mm -hmm. And then breaking down the goal into actionable steps mm -hmm. becomes a lot easier. And okay. so if I need to go and do strength workouts twice a week and then mm -hmm. cardio twice a week, that's mm -hmm. great. I can plan my week around that and then the amount of time that I need to spend on it. Mm -hmm. But if I just say, I'm going to go ahead and lose 10 pounds in two months, like okay. That's throwing a dart at a dartboard. It right. means nothing. Right. So that's number one. Mm. Number two, when it comes to actually thinking about what we really want, which I think leads to a, a more healthy life. It leads mm -hmm. to a more fulfilled life. And it leads to a life that I think, honestly, our parents probably wanted for us mm -hmm. just so long as we are taken care of. Right. I think that is probably one of the hardest things to do in life. In mm -hmm. fact, it's probably not even something I've certainly mastered at all. But the thing that's helped me figure out what I do really want in this life mm. is really thinking about the things that you don't want, first and foremost, right? Yeah. Whether it's professionally, whether it's personally. Yeah. And then in the same way that I talk about goal setting, think about the things that do make you happy, whether that's going on a bike ride or mm. talking to friends on a more regular basis, right? Mm -hmm. And then listing out the actionable steps again on a daily, weekly, monthly, whatever it is, mm -hmm. basis that will help you get there. And you have to have a way to measure that as well. So it's a very broad concept, but it's it's one that really works when it comes to actually measuring what you want. Right, right. And that's that's a very, very helpful advice. And I don't think a lot of so like take the time to break down some of the things that you can do to make sure you achieve your goal. And you know, the fact that you were talking about goal setting, I think that's also I, I had like a separate episode about this with like another friend. Like we had, we talked about, you know, the importance of like prioritizing what you really need to do because a lot of times some of the goals that we have can seem very abstract. And if we don't have ways of achieving them, just having a goal is not going to mean as much. Right? Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. And I, yeah, I, I totally agree. Okay. So now let's go like to your college experience. Um, so as, as a college student, obviously, there are a lot of things that are, you know, demanding. And, it's, you know, um, the first time most of us are away from home, wherever home may be. Uh, but how did you successfully navigate the challenges you faced um, in college when it came to mental health? Hmm, that <laughs> that's a really good question. And if my friends are listening to this, they will know why I'm laughing. Um, <laughs> I would say college for me was probably the hardest part when it came to my mental health. Um, there were a lot of ups, highs, there are high highs and low lows. And, mm -hmm. and I think the way that I sort of thought about mental health in college was quite frankly, not, it wasn't existent. It was non-existent. Um, for me, mental health in college was very much about recognizing that I even needed help. Mm -hmm. That was the process that I went through over the course of multiple years. Mm -hmm. And so when you kind of, when I, and I went to school in a very pre-professional world, I, we were, all sort of focused on what jobs you had and who was doing what as an internship. And again, that idea of doing more is better. 
um, along with the fact that you had to manage sleep, your social life, eating well, working out, all those sort of things in life that you have to mention. Yeah. And it was very overwhelming for me. Mm-hmm. And I think my journey to recognizing that mental health was something that I need to take seriously it mm-hmm. probably took place um, my last year of college mm-hmm. when I really started to see the effect that it had, not just on me, but it started to have an effect on my friends and the friendships that I was making. Mm-hmm. And that's when I recognized that I really did need help. And it was at that point that I said, okay, you know what? I need to reach out to somebody. Somebody's either been through this, somebody to help me yeah. professionally kind of get through my thought process right. or my thought processes mm-hmm. and uncover why a lot of those things or a lot of those, you know, negative feelings mm-hmm. or just really difficult feelings were, were actually happening. Mm-hmm. So to be honest, that was the the biggest thing for me is navigating college was extremely hard from yeah. a mental health standpoint, yeah. but I didn't even realize the effect it was having until I saw it in other mm, people. Interesting. That's, that's a very interesting take because I think for us, when we are in college, um, you know, we're like, oh, we... So you mentioned that you realized that... You- Your senior year, and that's like four years into college, right? Right around when you're about to finish. And that just goes to show how like a lot of us um maybe like don't even recognize that we need help when we need I was just going through it and I was like, I didn't know I had to ask for help. And I was talking to my dean and she's like, Oh, by the way, did you know that there's something called seasonal depression? And you come from Ethiopia, like you're right. used to the sun. I'm like, what are you talking about? And yeah. so it was like the first time I ever heard of that because I was around winter and I, I wasn't seeing the sun. And I, I didn't realize that the environment I was in was affecting my mental health. And that right. I had no idea. And so I had to mm-hmm. research about that. And, and you know, sometimes the things that we're going through or struggling with um, are are things that we don't even know and it requires you know you to talk about it to be able to understand how to help yourself out of your situation and so i think recognizing the problem is 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 the first step so thank you for for sharing that but um my other question is so when you um i guess like how did like your upbringing and your college experience like impact the person that you are now like how does that um, in terms of like prioritizing your mental health now? Yeah. Yeah. And and I would say to your point, right, I prioritize my mental health first, right? Mm-hmm. I prioritize myself before anything or anybody else from mm-hmm. the my daily routine to my day-to-day physical health to the things that I eat. All, all of it affects your brain, right? Mm-hmm. Everything is connected in our bodies. So yeah. The thing that I think has shifted from when I was younger to now is my focus is very much all about how do I stay healthy? How do I stay stay happy? Because if I'm healthy and happy, there's a very good chance that I'm able to help and work with other people in my life to make sure that they are healthy and happy, you know, from my parents to my partner to my friends, all those sort of things really, really start with me. Mm-hmm. So that was a big shift that I made from pre-college to now is I'm mm-hmm. I'm focused on what I can control for myself because that is yeah. the only thing that I can control. Right. Everything else is secondary. Um, but I think that mindset has actually made a big, big positive change in the health of my relationships to mm-hmm. certainly the, the health of my professional career and, and things like right. that. Uh, right. That's, that is all very true. I guess the, the one thing I'll 
add to your question, which was really about what kind of stayed the same from, from prior to college and in college, mm -hmm. there are a subset of kind of core values that will never change for me, right? Mm -hmm. I'll go back to the very first thing that I mentioned when we started chatting, which was around the concept of hard work. Mm -hmm. I will probably for my entire life always do my best to work as hard as I not only as I absolutely can, but harder than the next person trying to compete with me. Mm. Not, I don't consider myself an overly competitive com person, but I do consider myself the hardest worker. Mm. And in that respect, at least, that's never going to change. Mm. But now combining that with my own mental health values and priorities, I'm never going to overwork myself to a point where I, I don't feel like I'm performing at my best. And that goes with anything from physical to work-related to personal um, I think that can right. be applied multiple different ways. Right, right. Thank you so much for sharing that. That was very helpful. And I think when you talk about like working um, in a professional setting, I also wanted to like touch a little bit about your professional background because I feel like now, you know, working in tech, working at Google, I feel like these professional places, um, I don't have the experience, but from what I think and from what I've seen my friends go through, it requires a really rigorous set of self-discipline to be able to survive in these like corporate institutions and so maybe if you have some advice for you know people going through uh, or like working there or people who aspire to be in a position that you are right now how they can prioritize their mental health or how can they can um, uh, you know su successfully navigate the challenges that they might face in the professional setting it's a really good question um I think the set of challenges that people are going to face in a professional setting are they're so wide ranging. It'd be hard to almost give a, a very specific answer. Right. The right. one thing that I would say that has actually really kept me grounded. And I think we naturally do this as not just, you know, Habashas, but people of color and people that are, are in a minority group. Mm -hmm. I think finding a couple of people that you can relate to in any way, in a professional setting makes a world of difference for not just you, but your own brand. And what I, people can always, you know, say, you know, oh, work really hard, keep your head down, all those sort of like, yeah, that's all true. But mm -hmm. the thing that will, I think, make you happy in your work outside of whatever your core function is, because that's dependent on what you love. But outside of that, if you can find, even if it's just one person, maybe set yourself a goal of finding one person in your network, in your company, in your role that you can relate to on a personal level, whether that's because of your upbringing, whether that's mm. because of a sport, whether that is because of where you live or what you like mm -hmm. to do on the weekends, whatever it is, if you can relate to that one person, mm -hmm. that can make a world of difference in how you approach your professional career. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, the statistics show what, 80% of jobs are found through people in your network? You're going to build your network, your career, your professional, you know, basically your professional network by right. meeting and talking to like-minded people. So the more that you do that from the, from the onset, the happier and the more likely you are to certainly find success. Right. And, and I second that um, completely because even, even in my professional setting, like uh, the fact that I had people who I can vent to or talk to about the struggles of the work, I think was very valuable for me because if if you don't have someone that you could share some of your frustrations with, it could feel very isolating and you're not going to enjoy your job very much if you feel like you're the only one going through 
those struggles. So um, I think like, you know, finding that one person, as you said, um, is, is very, very helpful. So yeah, thank you for, for mentioning that. Of course. Um, yeah. Is there anything else that you would like to add to the conversation that you think we didn't get to? I'll just, I'll just add this one piece, you know, people, when it comes to, to mental health, we don't yes. maybe talk about this aspect enough, especially in the Habasha community, but also, mm-hmm. you know, just in general as, as children of immigrant parents. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of therapy is one that I think is certainly growing. And the mm-hmm. idea that it's okay to go to therapy, or it's okay mm-hmm. to um, see a therapist. Mm-hmm. There's also, of course, a monetary barrier in a lot yeah. of cases. Um, yeah. And people kind of talk about like, well, it's hard to go to therapy. It costs a lot of money, which which very much in a lot of cases is true. There's absolutely no denying that. Um, but I think keep in mind that therapy is a process. And I think people sometimes lose sight of that. I've been going to therapy now for what year are we in? 2024? Yeah. Uh, oh my God. Um, so I've been going for probably four and a half years now. Um, wow. And I wouldn't, get a request a refund of any single dollar of that um and that isn't to say that i haven't or have paid a lot of money for it it's more that what i've gotten over years and years of help and work has allowed me to find Mm -hmm. real happiness in my own personal life in terms Mm -hmm. of my work to feel fulfilled and it's also someone that can share some real insight into kind Mm -hmm. of how our thoughts came to be and mm-hmm. how we can think about different aspects of our life from a personal standpoint, from a professional standpoint, a little mm-hmm. bit differently. Um, but I do very much recognize that in a lot of cases, there is mm-hmm. a monetary barrier. Um, but if you are young and maybe just coming out of college, or even if you've been out of college for a set period of time, whatever it is, yeah. um, I would think about budgeting in a way where you could potentially incorporate therapy mm-hmm. costs into a monthly budget, a weekly budget, whatever it is um, yeah. that you're comfortable with. So right. that'll be the last thing. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a very important um, advice that you mentioned. And it also got me thinking, like, why do you think like there is this stereotype associated with going to therapy in our community? I think in our communities, it's largely because there's this aura that you want to come across as the most successful with the least help. And I don't know where along the lines that started. Maybe it was a comparison thing from back home, from the the (laughs) tests that our parents took that were compared nationally with kids. I I have no idea. But what I can tell you is that I've seen that sort of rhetoric and that mindset in terms of, oh, you know, so-and-so is a doctor, so-and-so does this. Um, mm-hmm. But in the same way that therapy is a stigma, it, I think, is also viewed as a crutch by our parents. Mm-hmm. And that crutch has never been a good thing in their eyes in terms of the success socially that you can talk about. Right. And so right. as long as that crutch exists in their heads, and I think mm-hmm. as generations pass, I think it will lighten up. I think therapy will will hopefully become very common practice in our communities but Mm -hmm. until that you know stigma goes away within our parents and that's explained Mm -hmm. to them through conversation Mm -hmm. it is going to be very difficult to say oh i you know am a so-and-so you know 
Harvard educated, whatever lawyer, um, but I go to therapy once a week, right? That comes, it feels like it almost comes with an asterisk that says you for some reason or in some way are not as successful as the next Harvard educated lawyer. Mm, interesting I think that's a very interesting insight and thank you for sharing that because I also agree with what you said like sometimes you know this is also cultural or it's not really something that people talk about and so when you say that you know oh, I, I go to therapy people are like wait what and so I think um, it does a good job of like uh, breaking down the stereotype that it has you know among mental health because I think one of the main problems is because people don't talk about it, people suffer silently. And that's mm-hmm. when, you know, a lot of damage is done, right? So I think um, having this op- open conversation with, with your friends, with family could could go away in saving someone's life. So um, thank you for um, highlighting the importance of therapy and, and prioritizing your mental health. Um, so as we're ending our conversation, do you have any advice for um, prospective or current international students or children of immigrants who are um, dealing with the topic of mental health? I would say if there is a reason why you feel like you may be struggling or there is something on your mind that you in some ways can't even explain, right, that might be symptoms of, of a mental health episode, mm-hmm. right? Finding just one person that you feel comfortable talking to right mm-hmm. not necessarily saying you have to feel vulnerable with that person or anything like that the one pe- the one piece of information that i would say is if you were to sit down and explain to that person how you feel and what's going on there's a large chance that they want to hear how you're feeling and how you're doing and you may not even realize that you might think because a lot of people think this person might not want to talk about this might make them uncomfortable it might make me uncomfortable it might you know it might just be awkward right i don't want to talk about this with anybody there's a very good chance that the really really good people in your life Mm -hmm. really do want to hear how you're doing Mm -hmm. and that's a lesson that i've learned Mm, interesting yeah thank you for sharing that and i completely agree like I, i think if there's any that i could give it would also be like finding someone to talk to about it but also like recognizing um when you need help or trying different types of things to help you successfully navigate like it could be journaling like journaling really helped me personally it's like write down my thoughts and 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 Mm -hmm. see the connection and so for some people it might be exercising or it might be talking or group activities or anything it is i think i would highly encourage people to try new things and experiences um that might help them de-stress um yeah I think, yeah, that's great. All right. So with that, we end a wonderful conversation of our episode today. Just as a little housekeeping, please make sure to go follow the official Instagram page at Internationally by Ruth, that is L-I-E, and send an email with your questions and concerns about being an international student to internationallybyruth at gmail.com. Thank you again for tuning in today. Thank you, Elias, for being a wonderful guest. Um, and yeah, I hope you have a lovely week ahead of you, everyone, and take care of yourselves. Bye.